1: Out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker speaking to you on July 19th, 2011, and thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic headquarters. It's an important day here, folks, because this is our special Harry Potter party, and we're very excited about it. With the last Harry Potter film released over the past weekend, it's time to look back and remember some of the highlights of this remarkable franchise, as well as to explore any Harry Potter fantasies that may have become reality. But I ask you, what good is a party without games and food? That's why we've invited Alex Fennepi and Dinah Buchholz to join in the fun. Alex is the CEO of the International Quidditch Association, and Dinah is the author of the unofficial Harry Potter sweet shop book. Yummy. So, we definitely have games and food covered for today's event. It's my great pleasure to welcome our guests now. Ladies first, as always, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters, Dinah. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm so happy that you could be with us today, and the same goes for Alex. Hi, Alex.
2: Hey Betty Jo, thanks for having me on your show.
1: It's just uh, it's just our pleasure to have both of you with us and we have lots of questions for you, but first, let's check with Danny Dyer, our chat wrangler and another Harry Potter fan, to see if she's waved her magic wand to get the chat started. Danny, are all systems go in the chat room?
3: All systems are go in the chat room. You may sign up for chat by going to the top right hand section of your screen and clicking sign up for blog talk radio. It only takes about a second. <laughs> that is Danny's British
1: <laughs> accent in honor of of our Harry Potter party and I, that was great Danny. <laughs> we really we really <laughs> appreciate <it. laughs> Daddy uh, Daddy is, for those of you that don't know, Daddy is from Tennessee, and she ordinarily does not sound like that at all, but that was just great. And and (laughs) thanks to the people who have signed up to participate, as well as our other listeners. I'd like to remind everyone that today's chat is open to muggles as well as wizards. So, Danny, tell the newcomers, uh, well, you already did. You told everybody how they can get into the chat, and you did it very, very well. We really appreciate our chatters, <laughs> and we also appreciate Jazz Shaw, who's here to co-host the proceedings. Jazz, are you wearing your magical co-host hat today for our Harry Potter party?
4: Uh, unfortunately, my magical hat is in the cleaners. I- I've had to go with my normal fedora. So uh, you know, oh. but we'll we'll, str- we'll struggle along as best we can.
1: Well, yes, and you look very ext- uh, extingu- uh, <coughs> distinguished in your in your fedora anyway and i think we should begin by talking about quidditch because that's harry potter's favorite sport and it's certainly one of the highlights in the harry potter movies to me and to many uh fans and before i was reading about alex i didn't know that muggles are now playing quidditch and so i'm here eager to hear all about that from uh, from him. Jazz, I know you want to ask Alex some questions, so I'm going to give you the floor now, and I'll do the honors with Dinah a little uh, later in the show. So you're on, Jazz.
4: Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it was Harry Potter's favorite sport, because it seems to me, every time I see him playing it, someone tries to kill him. So, <laughs> oh, that's you know, that, that's a lot worse than the NFL, in my, in my opinion, but... Uh, I don't know. Let, let's move along, Ale, Alex. You're the you're the star of the show, as, as opposed to uh, you know Harry Potter and, and all the exploits we've seen there. Uh, the, the the first question right off the top, like, I got to ask you. You know, in the in the real world amongst the Muggles, how, how do you get the brooms to fly? Because I think NASA would really be interested in this. Oh,
2: good question, Jazza. We we don't have flying brooms yet. Uh, so <laughs> un, until then. The the game was adapted by my classmates at Middlebury College in 2005. That's in Middlebury, Vermont. And um, my friend Xander, who came up with the idea of doing this in the first place, he created a game where the players now, now in the book in the books and movies for people who aren't familiar with it. You have seven players on a side. They're flying around a field high up in the air on brooms and passing a ball around, shooting it through hoops to score and and then there's a few players that are chasing a little golden ball called the snitch with wings. Um, In the real-life version, we're playing it on the ground. The players are running around holding a broom with one hand between their legs and playing a game that's essentially a mix of rugby and dodgeball. It's full contact. It's co-ed. And the snitch, instead of being a magical flying ball, is a varsity distance runner who's dressed all in gold and has a, a flag hanging out the back of his shorts, so and you have to chase him down and grab it, and he can leave the field and go just about anywhere. So it's essentially a few games in one, and uh, we, we have hundreds of teams now all around the country.
4: Now, you, you, you mentioned uh, you, you and a friend of yours. Is that where it started? Was Did you guys play the first that you know of game? I mean, is that how this international College association came about? Uh, were you the first? And I assume it has spread uh, from what I've been reading and hearing to other places. How did the word get out? Was this an organic growth, or did you have to go and you know try to sign up other teams?
2: Uh, yes, it's. we started together at Middlebury College in 2005. That was the first game. Uh, there may have been some other people who played different versions of it before, but this version that Xander invented, it, it started there, and that's the one that all the teams are playing with now. Um, it was started in 2005, it was played on campus with maybe a dozen teams for two years, and then a team started at Vassar College, one of Xander's friends, and they came and played against Middlebury in 2007. And there was a big article on the front page of USA Today about the match, and it said the title of the article is Collegiate Quidditch Takes Off. And then we began getting emails from dozens of people at different schools all over the country all wanting to start their own teams and that just started a wave um, because as new teams would start, more press would cover it, more teams would start. Now we've, since then, we've been contacted by students at over 1,200 schools worldwide.
4: 1,200 schools. Okay, you are listed as, as the CEO of the International Quidditch Association. Uh, what does that entail aside from playing Quidditch? What, what do you have to do to make this all work?
2: Well, I don't actually play anymore. Right now I'm focused on Uh, recruiting volunteers, organizing events all around the country, sponsoring events around the country, fundraising, selling merchandise, uh, promoting the sport to teams, um, promoting our social media presence and our online presence, working with our volunteers uh, to create online, to create uh, websites for our events and our league. I have a board of directors of 10 people who are all from different states around the country, and another 150 volunteers or so, because uh, it's a lot of work to stay on top of more than 300 active teams.
1: Well, with, well with, I with heard that you're janitor, also. Is that right? What's that? You were part of your duties involved being the janitor.
2: <laughs> the janitor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we 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 do have a we do have a small. Uh, so you know you have to when, when you're starting a small non-profit company you have to be willing to do just about anything
4: for sure Well, that <laughs> that, that that brings me that brings us back to the, the other question it's a non-profit company but uh with 1200 schools obviously you you have attracted a lot of interest to this so uh i, I think this is kind of a no-brainer i i, w- I was going to ask you is everybody a harry potter fan but Maybe not. I mean, is this, in your opinion, do, does it have like a legitimate sport value on its own where somebody who maybe isn't, hasn't read the books, isn't, you know, one of the diehard fans of the movies, but they're out there playing anyway?
2: Absolutely. It's a, it's a pretty dichotomous sport in that you have some players who have never played king sports in their life. Uh, they like Harry Potter. They, they're often like double science majors who are on the chess club and and have never done sports before and who play Quidditch and love Quidditch and actually turn out to be pretty talented athletes um, or not. But you also have people who have played varsity sports their whole life um, and who might have never picked up a single Harry Potter book who absolutely love Quidditch. Um, it's a very dynamic game. First off, Joe Rowling, when she invented Quidditch for her books, made a very brilliant move in creating one of the first sports that has more than one ball, or at least one of the first major sports. I mean, when you think of basketball, baseball, soccer, uh, all of those sports just have one ball that all of the players are working around. And in Quidditch you have, in the books you have three balls plus the snitch, you have four balls on the field. Um, So there's a lot more going on, which makes it more exciting to play and to watch Um, So that's one thing. And then, of course, the fact that this sport, it's new. uh, It's based on Harry Potter, so it's exciting. Um, It's co-ed. It's full contact. There's a certain amount of costume and theatricality involved. So it's really an obvious thing, especially for college students who are always looking for something new to try when they get to campus.
4: Okay. Now, twice you have mentioned, and uh, you're the one who brought it up, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you. Twice you have made a point of, of mentioning that it's co-ed and it's full contact. Do you run into any situations where there are injuries involved? And, uh, you know, is that a challenge, having men and women playing a full contact sport together where we, we don't typically see that? I mean, you don't see women out there in the NBA getting tackled. You know, uh, is that an issue?
2: Uh, I mean, there there are definitely injuries that pop up, but you, you get those in just about any sport. I wouldn't say that ours has any disproportionate number of injuries to it uh, compared with other active sports leagues. Um, I think so far, uh, you know, you the girls hold their own. They, uh, I think, it, it it could be a, it could be a lesson for for other sports too. And we're actually starting to conduct some studies right now with some different college research groups to um, sort of ask our players. You know, have you played college sports before? Would you? be more likely to play them now after having played quidditch um and uh we're we're also looking to start quidditch more at elementary and middle schools. and you know getting kids used to playing college sports at an early age could really revolutionize the the sports world
4: tell us a little bit about the fun side of it uh we've been i I was discussing with betty joe previously there's there, there's been a few spoofs about this, lampoons. There was uh, just this week the uh, episode on the Daily Show, uh, kind of you know t- taking a few pokes at the uh, the, the Muggle uh, uh, Quidditch players. What, what kind of fun do you have aside from the game itself? Have you uh, run, run into anything where you can you know have a little fun with yourselves? Or
2: oh yeah, I mean the game the game started purely to have fun, and, it, and we still have to balance that spirit with team sewers. Starting to get very serious about the competitive side of it. Um, for example, at all of our tournaments, the announcers are all trained improv comedians. Um, so they spend just as much time announcing what's happening on the field as they do making fun of the teams and making jokes um, <laughs> to keep people going. We, um, I mean, and of course the game itself looks kind of crazy and ridiculous when you have people running around on brooms. Um, so there's definitely it's definitely kind of tongue in cheek and. All the players sort of have this attitude you know i don't I don't really care if people think I look silly, like I'm just out here to have a great time. The snitches the the human snitches are encouraged to do a lot of antics on the field. They're allowed to leave the field, so sometimes they'll come back on bicycles or they'll climb trees or get on top of buildings um there's no There's no limits on what they can do to get away. so if a player comes really close to them to try to grab the snitch sock from from behind their belt. They'll throw them on the ground or trip them or, like, splash mud in their face or uh, pull their pants down or something like that. So there's uh, comedy is a central element of real-life Quidditch. Oh, my well, gosh,
1: that a does t- sound like well, fun,
4: what's fun. What's a typical score? Watch? A typical score? Yeah, what's a typical score in one of these games?
2: Depends how long it goes for. Um, Quidditch is often played in big tournament settings right now because uh, a lot of teams are new – So they're less often traveling to play each other one-on-one and more often playing in tournament settings where they can play a lot of games in one weekend. So when you have a lot of teams got we keep the games on the short side. Now, obviously, people familiar with the game will know that the game ends when the snitch is caught. So there's no regulated time um, unless you want to impose, like, a a house rule for that, Um, but when we do tournaments, we tell the snitch runners, you know, if you're not caught off the field by a certain time limit, say 10 or 15 minutes, you come back to the field, you stay there till you get caught. So they, they typically run like 15 to 30 minutes. And scores well, can range depending on the team. Um, we uh, we also dock the snitch down. In the books, the snitch is worth 150 points, and each goal is worth 10 points. So in the book, catching the snitch is worth 15 goals, which is a, li- a little ridiculous. It's pretty much designed to make Harry Potter the, the star. Because um, he's the one who always catches the snitch. Okay. So we make the snitch thirty points. Um, so that's only three goals. So you can s- still pretty often that a team will be down by so much that they'll just catch the snitch and
4: choose to lose. But but does um, that end the game? Does that end the game yeah, in your rules? Though? It it ends the
1: game. Oh okay. wow! Talking about ending the ending the game. Well, I, I'm supposed to be keeping the time here, and I've just been so interested, <laughs> Alex, in what you've been saying that we're we're uh, we're kind of running out of out of time. But I do want to give Danny um, a chance here to ask any question that's come up in the chat or to give us a report from the chat. And, and Quidditch, Danny, can you uh, chime in now? Yes, we actually have two great questions. The first sure. one is can you play Quidditch without putting the broom between
3: your legs?
2: Good question. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, if you want to do that, you can. Uh, our version requires playing with the broom. And w- one might think, hearing about this, that this would one would be prone to having very unpleasant injuries, um, particularly for the male players. Uh, but, you know, it, surprisingly, it doesn't happen. I think... Uh, Having the broom there, people are just subconsciously aware of that at all times and are are careful (laughs) where they're pointing their broom. Um, But uh, we play with brooms that are shorter than household brooms. They're they're specially handmade. They're lightweight. They're very durable, so they don't break. Um, And it it makes the game more challenging because you're playing one-handed and running a little bit off balance. Uh, But when you watch the top-level athletes on our teams play the game, you almost stop becoming aware of the broom. Um, mm. And and playing a one-handed game is very impressive to watch a team because the main ball we use is a volleyball, and we pass it up and down the field, and doing that all with one hand is a is a feat to watch, and when, when people can do it smoothly, it looks great.
1: And the second question, Danny, was, what is the actual age
3: range or age group of the uh, people that are actually playing on the teams?
2: That's a good question. Um, I would say 80% of our teams are college teams, so they're mostly between the ages of 18 and 22. Uh, and then the other, and then we've had around 15% of our teams are high school teams. Um, so that's 14 to 18. And then we have uh, a few adult teams starting up, adult club teams in different cities around the country, and those can be just about any age. And, and we have heard from a few. Um, uh sort of senior citizen clubs who have started to play quidditch too oh my gosh. and we're <laughs> and we're amazing. also hearing from from some uh from some middle schools and elementary schools as well so i mean really it's a game for any age obviously for the younger kids you want to uh get rid of the physical contact and we when we played games with kids sometimes we switch up the brooms for pool noodles uh but there's there's a way it can be adapted to any age
1: oh my gosh i Senior citizens, okay, now I think I'm going (laughs) to have to go back and and find out all all the rules and and, uh, have another thing that that interests me to to join in now, if I can just talk my husband to come along or at least to drive me there. (laughs) Great. Yeah, well, if you want to get
2: the rules, you can go on our website. It's internationalquidditch.org. And there's a a free version of the rules you can download and then also a – a more complicated version that has extra advice on how to start a team and organize a tournament that's uh for a very small price so e- everyone can go check it out
1: well thank you so much we'll do that and you've you've been a terrific guest today and i i just appreciate you coming out and and explaining about uh, muggles quidditch to us now um i'm I was wondering if you can stay for the rest of the show uh, to hear about Harry Potter goodies, but I know how busy you are today. So, um, will you be able to stay, or are you going to have to leave right now?
2: Well, I actually have to run because we're getting ready for our uh, our Quidditch World Cup, which is coming to New York City in November. We have a uh, hundred teams coming with over two thousand players and probably around twenty to thirty thousand spectators. So, our plates are so pretty full any listeners oh, out are. there who want to check it out we have a, a website for that too it's worldcupquidditch.com
1: worldcupquidditch.com i never would have believed it but i'm so glad to hear about it thanks again <laughs> alex and and uh, we're we're going to be following quidditch from muggle's quidditch from now on so we'll hope to be uh talking with you again soon and you take care
2: my pleasure and i'll I'll catch the rest of the show uh when i listen to the digital archive later and Maybe we'll uh, figure out a way to bring some, some Harry Potter goodies and sweets to our event.
1: Yes, <laughs> very good. We'll have a nice connection there. Well, bye for now, Alex.
2: All right. Thanks, another, everyone. Have a great day.
1: Well, it's been been our pleasure to have you here. And, of course, another Harry Potter highlight for me and for many fans involves the yummy confections featured in some of the movies. So now... I'm eager to hear more about this from Dinah Buckholtz, who has written two great cookbooks about uh, Harry Potter: the Harry Potter Cookbook and the Unofficial Harry Potter Sweet Shop Kit, which um, I just I just can't hardly wait to hear about. So, Dinah, why did you become interested in Harry Potter food? Hello, Dinah. Let's see.
4: Oh, we didn't mute or lose Dinah, somewhere in the intervening uh, let's, time.
1: Let's see, Danny. Do you know? Let's see. Here's another. Um... Hello, Dinah?
3: Yes. Hi. Can you hear me?
1: Uh, yes. Yes. I I thought we ha- we had you on another line, so I'm I'm so glad that that we've got you back. So I was yeah, asking I, I why.
3: Get, I, I did get cut out for a couple of minutes, so I tried calling oh. back in. Yes.
1: Well, I'm so glad you called back in. And, and I had just asked, why, uh, why did you become interested in Harry Potter food? You've done such a good job with these two cookbooks.
3: Thank you. Uh, well, you know, I had been reading the books uh, for a few years and was always intrigued by the quaint-sounding British food that sounded really good, but I had no idea what it was. And um, I was interested in treacle tart because it's Harry's favorite dessert. I was curious about what Knickerbocker Glory was, which Harry gets to eat in the zoo restaurant when he goes with Dudley and his friend on Dudley's birthday. Dudley doesn't mm-hmm. want to finish his because it doesn't have enough ice cream, and Harry gets to finish it. And I said, mmm, that sounds good. What is that? <laughs> so, I, I you, know, and you know, the truth is i would always been interested in British food since I'm a little girl because I've always loved to read British fantasy and British classics and I'd always been very enchanted by the idea of of British tea, you know, afternoon tea with pastries. always sounded really fun to me, something that I wish I could do, a custom that I wish my family would adopt. (laughs) So reading Harry Potter brought all that back to me, and um, I just had to know what treacle tart was.
1: Oh my gosh. I I was I'm hoping you you'll be able to tell us a little bit about the recipes from from these books that are your favorites. I I I just love would love to hear about broomstick lollipops, peppermint humb- humbugs, sugar
0: mm-hmm.
1: mice and those are those are my big 3. So what are your what are your favorites?
3: Well, you know, interestingly, the recipes that caused me the most trouble ended up being my favorite ones. Um, I had never done anything with sugar boiling before, and I I had to learn how to make candy, basically. So I had to make dozens of batches of fudge before I got it right, you know, Hagrid's treacle fudge and Mrs. Weasley's homemade fudge that are discussed in the books. And I really had to work hard to get it right. But once I got it right, It was so delicious. It's it's my favorite. Also, Mrs. Weasley's toffee and her nut brittle, which she sends to Harry, Ron, and Hermione for Christmas and Easter. So those are my top favorites. And, of course, all the ice cream recipes because I just love ice cream. And the ice cream recipes that I put in the book are unique British flavors that are really different than anything that, you know, we're used to. So it was fun. Those recipes were really fun.
1: And do you have a a favorite Harry Potter film or character that um, you'd like to tell us about? Because I do know that you're an avid Harry Potter fan.
3: Oh, I sure am. I loved all the books. I loved all the movies. I don't have a favorite. I just like them all. Uh, But I do have a favorite character or characters. Besides for our favorite trio, I just fell in love with Dobby the House Elf. And Hagrid, and I was absolutely devastated when Dobby was killed.
1: Oh, me too. Yeah. My favorite character is Professor Snape because I do just absolutely love Alan Rickman's voice, and I think <laughs> he used it. He does so. <laughs> have a
3: wonderful voice. <laughs> he used it that so well. That is rich ah. Oh. Yeah.
4: Betty Joe, you, you, you skipped one of the most intriguing-sounding recipes on that list. I, I hate to interrupt, but you you got to back no, up a little bit. Do. What what What's the sugar mice?
3: Um, if you remember, uh, ha- Harry was able to buy at Honey Duke's a treat called ice mice. And so I did yeah. a little digging around, a little research, and discovered that the British do have a, a candy that they like to make with our kids because it's easy to make. And it's called sugar mice. So I figured that Joe uh, Rowling's version was the ice mice in Harry Potter. So the the sugar mice in, in my book is basically a a very easy fondant recipe that kids can make, and you just shape it into mice. You can shape it into any animal shape, shape that you like, and kids love to do that. It's a fun activity. It's one of the easier recipes in the book.
4: So are, are most of the recipes uh... – Desserts, or are there any main? Are are there many main dishes or anything like that as far as something would somebody would serve for a main course?
3: There are a lot of main dishes because the students at Hogwarts eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the Great Hall. Harry also eats some major meals at the Dursleys. We have those disastrous dinners with the Masons and with Aunt Marge. Mm-hmm. So there's there's quite a lot of savory food, good good hearty entrees to be found in the books as well. Pretty much any food that's mentioned in the Harry Potter series is in the unofficial Harry Potter cookbook, except for foods that J.K. Rowling invented that I couldn't use because of copyright issues. That's why, for example, I didn't name my sugar mice Ice Mice because that was her name for it. Uh, So one of the most disappointed reactions I got to my book was that there's no recipe for butterbeer, and I worked with my publisher to get around that. We renamed it Butterscotch Brew, and we included it in the unofficial Harry Potter Sweet Chop Kit, which is just out now. The, book, the cookbook's been out since September, and the, the Sweet Chop Kit is out just now in, in July.
4: See, Betty Joe, this is your fault because y- you led me astray. You picked out all the sweets.
3: <laughs> of
4: course, I always do.
1: <laughs> that's that's the story yeah, of my I, life. I can relate.
3: I have a sweet tooth. I like all the sweet recipes myself. <laughs> but well, I have what a lot about of the of peppermint I'm sorry.
1: I, I was humbug? I was interested in the peppermint humbug. Yeah.
3: That's a uh, mint striped mint candy, and mm. it's just a simple striped mint candy. Yep. Yeah? It's called a peppermint humbug, and it has nothing to do with a Christmas Carol. You know, um, humbug.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah it has just just to like to we're hoping <laughs> there's
4: no actual mice in the ice mice. So. Uh,
3: right. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: No, well, what about the broomstick lollipops? That that sounds like a, quite a treat. What what are in the the not real brooms, of course, but what? Um, right. What um, are they made the, out of?
3: The candy kit, the the sweet chop kit, comes with a chocolate candy mold, and there are several mm-hmm. different shapes, including a broomstick shape. So it, it, you're also provided there with broomstick lollipop sticks. It's really just melted tempered chocolate. You temper the chocolate which is described, mm. you know, it's a whole process, and that is described in the in the Sweet Chop book. And you pour it into the mold, you put in the broomstick lollipop stick, and you're all set. Tempering chocolate is important because if you don't temper the chocolate, it will be soft and dull, and it, it won't pop out of the molds easily. So you you kind mm. of need to temper the chocolate. It does take about a half hour to temper the chocolate, but it's very satisfying.
1: hmm well, you have some uh, some great pictures on uh your websites where people can see what the what the food looks like. So
3: mm-hmm. tell
1: our listeners uh where they can find out more about you and and your books.
3: The website is unofficialharrypottercookbook.com and like you said the viewers can see photos of foods that, some of the foods that are featured in the book. Uh they can also send me feedback or cooking questions, I respond to all my emails. So they will get a response if they send me one. Uh, And they can find out about, uh, you know, how the book got its start, some background information. I plan to update the website to include my future works because I am writing a cookbook now based on the Chronicles of Narnia called The Unofficial Narnia. Really? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait,
4: wait. Before we get to that one, Betty Jo, uh, you, you just mentioned something. Uh, you know, that I, I really had to ask about, you've, in, you've intrigued me. You mentioned a problem you ran into already in one case with uh, copyright issues with the name of something that was in the book, but you do have the name Harry Potter in the title of the book, the unofficial Harry Potter thing. Um, did did you have to go through any legal channels to use the name Harry Potter to associate yourself uh, with the film? Do you have any cooperation with the author, or was that ever an issue for you?
3: That's a great question. It was a huge issue because when I first got the idea back in December 2006, the first thing I did was try to find an agent who would represent my project to a publisher, and I couldn't get one. They were scared to touch it because they were afraid of copyright. It took me two years to find an agent, and that was only finally because I wrote a letter to J.K. Rowling's legal firm. This was following the advice of I, you know, I, I wrote an email to somebody who had already written books about Harry Potter asking him how he got around the copyright issues. His name is George Beam. He wrote two books about Harry Potter, and he advised me to write a letter to the legal firm that represents J.K. Rowling. He said, you know, you have nothing to lose. Either they'll send you a season mm-hmm. to letter, which will save you trouble down the road, or they'll tell you that it's okay, and then you'll be able to sell your book to a publisher. Without a letter like that, no one is going to take a second look. So that's what I did. I sent them a letter, and I wrote, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's some sample material. Is this okay? Am I allowed to do this? Does this violate copyright? Sure enough, they wrote back, and they said, it's basically fine. I just have to put unofficial in the title. It's considered fair use if I do that. And I put a disclaimer on the cover. The disclaimer that's on the cover of my book is actually has, was dictated by them. That Those are their words. And um, they said that they reserve the right to review the manuscript before publication. Once I had that letter, I was able to snag an agent. And, indeed, they did review the manuscript before publication, and they asked us to make a few minor changes, just a few little details that was basically crossing the line. Mm-hmm. It was a borderline copyright infringement. So we fixed those up, and we were good to go. It was a pretty amazing journey
4: well that that's that's great advice betty joe that uh the, that she's giving out because uh I, I can tell you from experience with other people who are doing uh development work on some games uh for example that if you run a of the Tolkien family by doing anything that uses words that are in the Lord of the Rings, like the word Hobbit mm-hmm. and things like that, and you don't go get permission, they will come after you and sue you. So I know a lot of your fans are people who get into the industry from different aspects, and that's something you got to watch out for. And it sounds like uh, Dinah really took the right route there.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I didn't want to get into trouble down the road myself. You know, I was also nervous about copyright, so it was actually the best advice I ever got to actually write the to the legal firm that represents a stateholder, you know, that was that was the best way to go.
1: That, that was a was a great way to go, and I'm just getting very very hungry for some of these sweets. And <laughs> I understand <laughs> that you encourage people to kind of be creative with uh, with these recipes too. Am I right about that?
3: Oh well, absolutely. You can always mix and match. You know, there's a recipe for classic vanilla ice cream in there uh... Mm. and just to explain about the ice cream the reason i included different flavors for ice cream is because in the first chapter in harry in the first book when harry goes to hogwarts at, at at the end of the first feast for dessert there are flavors of ice cream and you know all different kinds of flavors so i just picked a few unique british flavors and vanilla is such a classic that i included that as well and you know i say you can do anything with classic vanilla ice cream you can you know Omit the vanilla and add any flavoring you want, and you can have any kind of inclusions like nuts or chocolate you know tap chocolate tap toffee bits there's so much you can do with just that one recipe, so absolutely go ahead and play around with the recipes and you know come up with your own versions and have fun in the kitchen doing it.
1: oh yeah, and whatever and doesn't and work what... out, you
3: can just feed to your dog <laughs> that's right <laughs> well don't don't give and your you dogs can...
4: chocolate, that's bad for them,
3: not bad right not that. but but,
1: uh, well, you know, you you mentioned that you have seen uh, all the Harry Potter films. Uh, so did you manage to see the, the last one that re- was released over the past weekend?
3: I have not had a chance to see it yet, and I'm kind of waiting a little bit. My husband and I did this after each film. We waited a couple of weeks for the Fuhrer to die down so we could get a less crowded theater. So that's what we're yes. doing. We're probably going to go. We're hoping to go next week. I really want to see it already. I just can't wait anymore.
1: <laughs> Well, it I I really liked it a lot. Of course I I am such an avid Harry Potter uh, fan that I always look forward to the films and I always like I like them uh very much, but the last two, of course, Deathly Hallows that gives it away, uh they're pretty grim. They they lack, you know, some of the humor and uh, colorful characters that uh, the, the first first few had. But this this particular uh Film Part Two was—I don't know how it could have been done any better. So I think you're in—you're in for a treat with it. I
3: actually—I'm uh, looking very much forward to seeing the death scene with um, with Professor Snape because you mentioned that you know you love Alan Rickman's voice and he's such a stupendous actor. And I heard that that scene is supposed to be absolutely spectacular. So I know I have yes. a, a lot waiting in store for me.
1: You do, you do And Professor Snape does play a key role And we do uh, There are a lot of mysteries that are solved But it's very fast action Now, Jazz, I know you're not you're not uh, necessarily a Harry Potter film But I think you do like uh, action-packed films And this one is really action-packed mm-hmm. And of course the mm-hmm. special effects are used to full advantage in this film The acting is, is top-notch and um, I cannot I cannot say too much more than that, or I might go up in a, a puff of smoke. I don't want to ruin it <laughs> for, for people. But it's just, um, it's always such a treat, you know, to see well-made movies emphasizing courage and friendship and loyalty. And despite those mind-blowing special effects and all the magic, emphasis on the uh, magic, I really think, that's the most important message delivered by by these films, and right. that's why I'm happy uh, to host a party <laughs> celebrating this uh, franchise because I think it is one of the best film franchises that uh, that has that's been available for for moviegoers to uh, to enjoy, and oh, I'm just I so glad. Mm-hmm. I
3: absolutely agree.
1: I am just so glad that you and Alex were here to help us with the party, and I, I want to make sure that we check back with Danny to see if there are any other comments or questions from uh, from the chat room. Danny? Yes. Can, Donna, can you please just repeat the website address that we can find the cookbook to purchase it?
3: Sure. It's www.unofficialharrypottercookbook.com.
1: Great, right. and uh, that, um, Danny is putting that in the in the chat because I know people are going to want to check that out. And I had promised people that uh, we would be talking about going back and looking at some of the highlights. And we've talked about the the games, we've talked about uh, Quidditch and and the food. But as I was looking back and reminiscing, uh, I I had a list here of things that I thought were, were highlights, and they just, these are things that just blew my mind, and especially the first time that I would see them, invisible cloaks, shape-changing creatures, a three-headed dog named Fluffy, I c how's that for a, a vicious three-headed dog, that name, the names that Rowling would come up with are just, you know, just were so creative, photographs, photographs, big portraits that come to life, uh, the, Magical jelly beans, the the live chess pieces, the ever moving staircases, the floating candles. Uh, every single film had details, and I ha- the first one was my favorite, and the first the first book was my favorite, and I I thought that things on on the pages of of that book just cried to be filmed. You know, they cried out to be filmed. And when we saw that film, my husband and I couldn't believe how right on everything was. You know, just like we had imagined. And so we were just absolutely enchanted with uh, with the first Harry Potter movie. But but every one of the movies has had something to uh, that you could enjoy and that you could be amazed amazed by. Did I leave anything out? Any any highlights uh, that you'd like to mention,
3: Dinah? Oh no, I, I I love the ones you picked. They just show the unbelievable creativity of J.K. Rowling. Really fantastic. The only thing I would add is that I'm sad, like all Harry Potter fans, that the era has come to an end. That that Harry Potter is over. There are no more books, no more films, and I just want more. <laughs> oh yes, and and I think we all we all sort of feel
1: that way. But um, if you're there is going to be a, a game added, by the way.
4: If you guys didn't there hear there is there's a game. Been... There's an online role-playing game similar to World of Warcraft or EverQuest, with a whole Harry Potter world, uh, Potterverse, oh. yeah, uh, where uh, players will be able to sign up and create a character and go in and and be either a wizard or a muggle and play. And uh, as far one. as the highlights, uh, the the only one, if you don't mind that that I would add, I really loved because I love seeing when real life technology imitates uh fiction and fantasy is the newspapers where when you pick up a newspaper the the pictures actually move and, and, and there's you know uh people moving and acting and making sounds. And in Japan we just saw this year at the E three expo, uh somebody's already working on that and they have a, a magazine format that has a screen built into the cover with a so cool. uh so, solar powered <laughs> memory and instead of a static picture there's a motion thing playing there, just like in the Harry Potter thing. So when you get the magazine and yeah. and pick it up, the, the the people in the picture and the events and the cars are moving and things like that. And and they got that from Harry Potter. So it's life imitating art.
1: That is wow. such a, a great addition to the to our show today, Jazz. Thanks so much for bringing that up. I can't believe that our time is almost up, and I want to thank you, Dinah, for being such a wonderful guest, and of course uh, Alex too. It's been a real treat to have both of you here today to help us celebrate. So this is Betty Joe Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio and at WRSP 936 for their support. Special thanks to Jazz and Danny for everything they do to make hosting this show such fun. And thanks also to our chatters for their contributions and other listeners. We hope you enjoyed Harry, today's Harry Potter party. I know I did. And here's a message to Nikki Starr, another avid Harry Potter fan. Nikki, we're sending magical wishes your way. Please get well soon. I hope everyone will come back next time when we help listeners get ready for National Dance Day by revisiting our favorite dance films and performers. In the meantime, please check out our movie reviews at RealtalkReviews.com. That's Realtalk, that's R-E-E-L, RealtalkReviews.com. You'll find my review of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Hallows, I always want to say Hallows, it definitely is not hollow. it's definitely Hallows, part two there, as well as reviews of all the Harry Potter movies. That's all for now, folks, so let's call on Kenny Loggins to take us out with one of our favorite party songs. Get ready, everyone, here comes Footloose.